Yes, they called you a weirdo. And yes, they did shove you into the locker that one time. But this year, it's your time to take that back with $60,000 worth of prizes. The Noonies are back. So head over to Noonies.tech to vote for your favorite technologist, thinker, maker, or weirdo of the internet. We are celebrating them all. Shout out to this week's sponsor, Avast, who is a global leader in digital security and privacy and has over 435 million users. They are literally protecting the people of the internet from threats and the ever-evolving IoT landscape. Head over to Noonies.tech to vote for your favorite weirdo on the internet today. So hello and welcome to the Hacker Noon podcast. Today I have the Alliance Block team with us. They have been making a lot of waves in the crypto Twitter space. And today, representing them, we have the CEO, Rashid, we have the CEO, Human, and we also have Mathieu, who serves as the head of quantitative analytics. Afternoon podcast. Between these guys, they have a lot of experience. I would let them speak a little bit more about themselves. But for those of you interested to know a little bit about who these guys are, check out the website allianceblock.io, led by Rashid and Ciara Human, and welcome, Matthew. How are you guys doing? Tell us a, a little bit about yourself and how you guys came to form the Alliance Block team. Hello. Thank you very much for having us. It's really great. I think we've been in contact like since the last two years. We saw the beer market together. We saw the bull market together. So I'm really <laughs> happy to be able to be in this podcast with you and to have like our amazing teams, like the chief research officer, Human, and our head of uh, quantitative analytics, Mathieu. So on my side, so I'm a, one of the founder and CEO of Alliance Block. I, I consider myself as a technical CEO because I have been in the quant industry for more than 13 years. I have worked in investment banking, such as Barclays Capital, also BNP Paribas, Société Générale, where I was developing uh, models in terms of credit risk, commodities, exotics. And I had the chance, actually, and the honor to work with Human back in 2000, between 2014 and 2017. So I'm really happy to be able to continue the journey with Human. Later, after being quants, I continue on my technical journey where I was leading AI research team, mm -hmm. advancing in France. And we were building smart infrastructures because we don't believe that autonomous car will be completely autonomous. So mm -hmm. they need to in line with um, uh, to, to to communicate with smart infrastructure. So we were building smart infrastructure, which we consider as the brain outside the car that will basically be the ISOs of the car. So I have this double experience between AI and quants and mathematics and computer science. And I started the journey in crypto since 2016 as investor. And then we started seeing the problems that are happening in the ICO space. And then this is how I met my co-founder, my, my second founder, Riz, and later on, Amber Kardar, to, to build this bridge between traditional finance and decentralized finance and solve the most complex problems, basically, to be able to, to, to bring innovation, innovation, innovation to the space. Thank mm. you. Mm. Thank you, Rashid. Like, it was quite wonderful like i was going over your resume like i could see stochastics mentioned over there a mm -hmm. lot of things about deep learning and i i'm pretty sure that it would be a fun conversation yeah. moving over to human falak shahi who is the cro like tell us a, a little bit about yourself you have a quant experience of over 18 years you surely have a lot of insights of why the markets are like this as we see them these days 
Hi, thank you. <clears throat> um, indeed, uh, I, actually, let me just um, precise that my name is a bit exotic because I'm from Iranian origin, because I see lots of people uh, remark my name just as a remark. I grew up in France. I did all my studies uh, in France. I have a background in physics and uh, applied mathematics. I did a PhD in quantum mechanics. And then I moved to banking and I have been a quant indeed since long time, as you mentioned. I worked in a couple of investment banks uh, in Paris, London, Singapore as well. I indeed worked for some years with Rashid and that was a pleasure. Recently, I joined Alliance Block because uh, I really believe in the project and I uh, really believe in Rashid as well. I have an expertise in Forex and commodities derivatives. I have been also an algo uh, quant. Mm. I worked uh, in a family office as well. So I think it's a very exciting time and uh, very happy to be here with you guys. Most definitely. And Human, just for the record. Um, I, would something, I would add something like for the crypto people saying, we are all human. <laughs> <laughs> right. Then we have the head of quantitative analytics, Matthew Maria Pragasam. And I guess he is Greek, but I would let him finish that thought and tell us how he came to be a part of the Alliance Block. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me here. So basically, I grew up in France, in France as well. So my background is in uh, applied mathematics engineering. So I did an engineering school back in France, um, where, uh, yes, exactly like in applied mathematics, computer science, and uh, like anything that's related to programming as well. Mm-hmm. Then uh, I, I switched to the to the to the industry where I worked as a quant in a software development a company called Mirax. Mm-hmm. Um, then moved as well to to do a bit more research. So for three to four years at the University of Oxford, where I did a PhD in mathematics. Mm-hmm. Um, then after that, I switched to the to the industry in London, where I worked for Barclays as a quantitative analyst in FX derivatives. And that's also where I had the chance to, to meet and work with uh, Uman. We worked in the same team for a few years and uh, it was fantastic. And then after that, so that's also when Uman introduced me to Rashid and the Fantastic Islands Block Project. And that's where I decided to jump uh, in the boat. And it has been a, a real pleasure since then, working on very interesting projects with uh, fantastic people and uh, really looking forward to uh, what we're going to do in the future. Mm, mm, that's very interesting. <laughs> And right off the bat, I have this thing. So whenever I have highly qualified people such as yourself speaking to me, I want to ask you guys, like, what did you guys do in your childhood? Like, do you, did you guys used to go uh, fishing, play sports, or maybe just around, walk around aimlessly? Or was it like, nah, I'd rather study, I'd rather hack this supercomputer or something like that? How was your like childhood like, or rather your uh, teenagers? I would, I would start. So this is <laughs> this is a really good question. They never asked. <laughs> <questions, laughs> I like really it as good. well. I think I was like um, the funny story is like my last name Ajaja is uh, in Arabic is the sandstorm. And all my professors told me, yeah, you, it's exactly your name because I was really a storm in the class. <laughs> yeah. So in order to basically like uh, all this energy, so my father saw that like I was always jumping everywhere. So he put me to do martial arts. So I have done, I think like more than eight years in martial arts in Taijutsu, what we call South Korean uh, like martial arts. Wow. And like since I think the childhood, it was very funny because I was only the one that is trying to do a lot of things. 
but I get bored super quickly. So when I know that I can do something, I, I, I basically, that's it. And so I work in corporates and I always found that I had like something missing. And when I discovered basically crypto and like we started Alliance Block, it's perfect. And I think this is exactly what people need to understand why we have all these products, because mm -hmm. we are not the kind of people that will work only on one product. We have mm -hmm. the capacity on working on multiple products, being organized and being able to deliver. And I think this is the only time when I found myself perfectly in line with who I am. And uh, this is why, like, I think there is Alliance Block. So, yeah, so I think it's perfectly, I think we will say that Alliance Block also, it's a sandstorm. <laughs> <laughs> Very well said. How about you, Human? On my side, as you mentioned, fishing, indeed, uh, when I was young, uh, I was uh, doing fishing. Actually, I lived for 10 years in Iran when I was a child because my parents were students in France and then they left and then we came back. So I really enjoyed uh, living in these two countries. I have I have spent lots of time in the mountains in Iran. So as a, as a child, I really enjoyed uh, being close to the nature. Mm -hmm. uh, then when I came back to France, well, uh, I did less of that and a little bit of gaming as every child. Uh-huh, uh-huh. <clears throat> but not as much as Matthew, and he will tell you. Uh, uh -huh. I mean, then I was really fond of uh, physics. I really wanted to become a researcher. Mm -hmm. And I did all my studies according to that. But after my PhD, actually, I decided to change. I mean, the dream of childhood, <laughs> uh, the dream of childhood basically fell and decided to do something uh, with more real day-to-day -day, uh, impact. And this is mm. why I went uh, to finance, but also to make a bit more money, actually. <laughs> so <laughs> this is, this is uh, how I ended up in finance. But uh, to be honest with you, I have been uh, disappointed with finance since uh, more than 10 years now. Mm -hmm. And I think DeFi is really something which is appealing to me because it changes the notion of finance for mm -hmm. everyone. It, it can impact the lives of a lot of people. Mm -hmm. And this is uh, why really I think it's the future of finance. And uh, this is the reason why I decided to change and to jump uh, in the same ship than Rashid and all the team. And do you remember, Oman, also when we were working together, you, was calling, you were calling me DJ C++. I was trying to be all over the places. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. DJ, because Rashid, you know, he, he's a party man. He's a big dancer. And uh, indeed, when we were at Barclays, uh, he was often tired in the morning because uh, he was partying at night. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, let's move over to like Matteo. I'm very interested to know what games were you playing growing up. But I also had a question for you, Huma, you did too. Is it a fact that people from science, when they go on to the finance side of things, they're like, what is this? Like, how do you do these things? It's not scientific. It's mostly made up. What do you have to say about that? And then I also want to know about the games that you want to play. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Maybe I, I can talk about myself on this side, because, you know, in finance, we have a branch which is called Applied Mathematics in Finance. Mm -hmm. uh, so all the derivatives, all the options, exotic options, are requiring lots of uh, maths actually and mm -hmm. lots of uh, numerical uh, simulations and this is how lots of scientifics in the or i mean the early 2000 it was a hot topic lots mm -hmm. of phd students were jumping ship because uh, what i did during my phd was directly usable in finance because actually of this uh, requirement of doing heavy simulations so it's almost natural 
almost natural to do the the transition and without any difficulty because you can learn the finance but all the applied maths and the simulation background uh, is very uh, useful so this is how i naturally jumped uh, and uh, did this transition mm, mm, gotcha gotcha and the games <laughs> yes so like no definitely so so on my side i think I, i stand kind of like between the other two guys so basically like for me i started like being interested in actually uh gaming very very young so first i was uh, a lot of playing uh, mario the legend of zelda and uh, this type of games mm-hmm. um and I, i kept playing like for a very long time so unfortunately now i don't i don't really find the time to continue playing but i tried to to carry on And on my side, I was uh, really more like um, really interested in, in programming very young. So I studied, I think, coding C++ when I was 12, just out of interest and really liked it. It was a lot harder to code at the time because you needed like a, a computer. Everything was slow. Compiling was actually uh, to, taking quite a bit of time and things like this. So that was kind of like a different experience, but really interesting yeah. as well. And I uh, started like um, coding my uh, actually... So, so fan of like video games as well. I tried to code like a very simple video game when I was young and for, for a project for school. So I really liked that. And then started transitioning to, I always liked mathematics as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I, I always found it like more uh, something I could relate to in a sense. Uh, so that's when I started like studying mathematics a bit more seriously. Engineering schools as well in, in France are quite, quite like intensive in mathematics. I love physics as well. But at some point I had to make a choice. Uh, physics is also a fantastic thing. So that's when I started studying applied mathematics as well. And as Uman mentioned and, and Rashid as well once, is that like we, there is a branch of mathematics called stochastic calculus and it applies extremely well basically to problems in finance and derivatives. And even basically just studying stochastic calculus really deeply without bringing any finance into it. There is a lot of interesting topics to study and the transition to finance is actually not too hard. And uh, I think that's what Uman mentioned as well, is that in physics, the, the use of probabilities, because it's all about that, is physics and mathematics background in quantitative finance. In recent years and from the start, actually, yeah, so from the early years of quantitative finance, that, that was the, the profile of people uh, joining, basically, uh, quant finance and uh, exotic derivatives pricing, basically. That's interesting. And with the introductions now done, let's jump over to the topic of the day, which is DeFi. For people who might not really be into DeFi, or in some cases, people who also are in DeFi, might have this question, like what exactly is an automated market maker? And how different is it from the order book? Is it really the innovation as it is made, made out to be? Or is it just old wine in new bottles? Okay, maybe I can, I can start on this one. <clears throat> so, sure, Roman. So basically, a market maker in traditional uh, finance is uh, a person who um, gives you the ability to buy and sell at any moment. So basically, he really makes uh, the market more efficient. It's really of paramount importance in traditional finance. So let's say you have a stock. You want to buy or sell that stock, for example. It's possible at any time thanks to the market maker. Now, in traditional finance, the market making is not automatic. Often it's a human being within a bank or a brokerage house or trading house, which makes the market for you. Right. Uh, the power of DeFi now is that since a couple of years, we have completely auto- automated market uh, maker because the logic is coded within uh, smart contracts. Mm-hmm. So everything 
becomes completely automatic. There is no human anymore behind the, uh, making the price. Mm -hmm. And that's really powerful. So the, I think the first families of uh, automated market makers that the most famous one is probably Uniswap. Mm -hmm. And how it works, basically providers of liquidity, people who have money can provide their liquidity to these smart contracts. And these liquidities are related with some relationship, mathematical relationship. This relationship defines the spot. And anyone then can go and interact with those smart contracts and trade in exchange of providing their liquidity. Mm -hmm. uh, the liquidity providers earn a trading fees. So this is an incentive for them to provide their liquidities. So automated market making is uh, exactly the same thing than market making in, in traditional finance, but the whole logic is, is uh, now coded and the whole process is automatic because of, I mean, thanks to the smart contracts. Got it. Got it. So would you say, Rashid, in like knowing what Human just said, the traditional markets, like would you really call them liquid if there were no market makers available? Yeah, so I think one of the most important things, so if we saw, as Zuman said, about like this creation of this absolute new wave, and as we know, Uniswap was really the start of the DeFi wave, even though I don't like to say this because Bitcoin, by definition, it was the first DeFi, actually. It was meant to be DeFi. Mm -hmm. But let's, the wave and the hype started with Uniswap, and then we saw uh, like everything around, from liquidity mining, everything. So what is amazing with the current automatic market making ecosystem is that it provides everyone to provide liquidity. So it's a decentralized liquidity providers, which, and this is where we saw everything around liquidity mining. Liquidity mm -hmm. mining being able for project to attract the liquidity to reward the people. This is, we cannot do it in the traditional world because you need to pay for this money and the money cannot create it basically. But the most amazing things in the cryptocurrency, you have tokens that's, that, have that have utility and the projects are able to reward because like every action need to be incentivized. We cannot have something without with nothing. So being able to incentivize people to put the liquidity, okay, and reward them, these bring huge liquidity and we can see it with the project. And mm -hmm. even though without even speaking about the liquidity mining itself, the fact that a liquidity provider have a chunk of the fees, for example, Uniswap is between uh, it's 0.3%, Balancer, it could be between zero to one percent, depending on the project or the liquidity pro or the crea creator of the pool. And this actually, when we saw, for example, Rapid BTC with with Rapid Eat uh, on Uniswap, it's huge volume, which bring really a lot of fees that we don't see this in the in the traditional market. So zero point three percent for each trade, it's like that is happening, and then divided by all the liquidity providers, it's absolutely huge. So you can make money basically just by provide the liquidity. And I think this is what I think Human and Matthew have done an amazing job because our white paper and the research paper that has been released lately shows exactly the formula of the liquidity basically with the trading fees. And we haven't seen this in any other paper. So yes, so to answer to your question, I think being able to have this automatic market making, it's attract uh, and plus the liquidity mining, it attract a lot of uh, liquidity. And this brings us to one of the problems that we have faced. How, as projects, 
attract liquidity. So this is what we started doing ourselves with Uniswap, then Balancer, then BSC, then Pongola on Avalanche, and then later on, on QuickSwap and on Polygon. Mm-hmm. And because it worked for us, and we are now around 52 total value, $52 million total value locked, we created this liquidity mining as a service because we believe that projects, they don't need actually to focus into just building tools for DeFi and they have their own objectives to build their own products. So why not provide them products that is using the decks for this different automatic market making, deploying pools super easily with absolute no code, with contracts that are fully audited. And then you take them and then it's it's bring projects. So now are we have, now we are around ten clients. We have like many many coming, and we didn't even start really proper marketing, which means that people need this good UI, good user experience, easy to set up, everything in one place. We don't have this on the market, and this is what will bring adoption. So and this is where we see that projects that are using this product they are increasing their liquidity by two, sometimes by four or even more. For us, we started our liquidity. We had two hundred thousand liquidity. And we were around $20,000 trading volume back in November uh, last year. And we are now around, like, I think more than $15 million total liquidity. We, we are having like sometimes between three to six or even 10 million like uh, trading volume per day, which is absolutely amazing. So yes, having this automatic market making innovation, having this decentralized exchange ecosystems, on top of it, having this liquidity mining, it's bring liquidity and projects become much more liquid than it, uh, it was before. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And also, if I may add, from a, a theoretical and mathematical standpoint, what, what's really interesting as well is that this, there is this, this class of automatic market makers called constant function market makers, and that has been used in the industry quite a lot. And it's quite beautiful as well in the sense that, like Uniswap, for example, the theory behind it is uh, saying that basically we have a function of the liquidity pool reserve size, and this has to stay constant when a trade happens. And of course, with fees, it's a bit more complex than that. But the idea is really, I think, quite beautiful. And that, that's what like caught our eye, basically, meaning that with a, a simple but yet very flexible approach, we can actually create an automated market maker. And Uniswap being a, being a simple example of that, uh, meaning simple, not in the sense of um, how it's achieved, but more in the the simplicity of the function itself, which is really beautiful because it's a product of the two reserve sizes being equal to a constant. And when one of the reserves needs to change because we want to do a trade on the sell or the buy side, then we know exactly what needs to happen on the other reserve such that the trade can happen and this completely automatically. And that's what really caught our eye. We thought that was really beautiful. And we thought that by understanding basically uh, how this works, more in details, we could maybe do something in terms of uh, research and development and, and trying to develop like our own IMM and trying to solve some some um, issues that people have been facing along the way. So, yes, I just wanted to add that. I think that's um, that's what really like uh, drove us to actually try to do some research and development in that perspective. Got it. Got it. That was quite interesting. And thank you for explaining how a liquidity pool looks like. Very good examples of reserves. That was very helpful. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have a follow-up question to that. Can you guys say that we want to build our own AMM? That implies that there are problems with the existing AMMs, be it a Uniswap or a SushiSwap, Pancake, or the ones that came up, right? The kimchi swaps and those burger swaps of the world. So 
what do you guys think is the problem with the current ecosystem of these AMMs or these DEXs? What seems to be lacking based on what you guys already know? Maybe I can start on this one and you guys jump in. So as I mentioned, basically liquidity providers, and it can be anybody with money, they can put their funds in the smart contract of the DEX and earn trading fees. Now it's not risk-free and the risk actually, um, it's called impermanent loss. And this is something which has been a hot topic for, for a while. Could so, you explain that please, if you could take two minutes. I'm yeah, really sorry, but it's very interesting. Yeah, exactly. I can explain that. So usually uh, when you provide your liquidity, imagine you have two tokens and you provide these as liquidity to the DEX people trade and you earn trading fees, etc. And at, when you want to withdraw your funds, uh, you can um, recover um, your two tokens, but usually the amount of tokens you recover will be different from if you didn't have put your money in the DEX. So uh, let's say you have a, a buy and hold strategy mm -hmm. and you compare your tokens when you withdraw to, to this buy and hold strategy. And impermanent loss is exactly the fact that without trading fees, as soon as the spot changes, when you recover your funds from the DEX, you will have less money than if you would have kept a buy and hold um, strategy. So mm -hmm. uh, it's really that risk, uh, which is uh, really typical to, to providing funds to a liquidity, sorry, to, to DEXs. So th this is really called impermanent loss. And mm. impermanent, why we call it impermanent? Because as long as you don't withdraw your money, you have a probability that the spot reverts back to the original value. Mm -hmm. And if it does, then you don't have any loss. So this is why it's called impermanent loss. Mm -hmm. But also what is good to um, notice is that usually when you put your money for some time on the DEX, you, you will uh, earn trading fees. And those trading fees and could actually cancel the permanent loss and usually they do and pe people provide money because they make money thanks to these trading fees so it is a risk but we have to know that if you hold long enough and if the token don't explode uh, in terms of price uh, the impermanent loss is not that important for investors so this is why uh, the whole process of providing liquidity to the dexes works now still it's a risk and uh, i think um, they ha there have been a couple of works to try to mitigate that risk. But unfortunately, most of the DEXs, and there are hundreds of them in the market, are forks and they don't innovate. So I think the number of innovation here is, is less than 10 maybe in the whole DEX industry. Mm -hmm. And basically, we came up recently with this work and we tried to innovate and try to mitigate that risk. Maybe I'll or Matthew to comment yeah. on no, uh, to, to, to add on top of that, I think, and uh, also what uh, Uman said very well, is in the sense of the, the risk mitigation. So definitely, like, the, the, the fees are a main part of that, meaning that people want to, to liquidity providers want to earn the fees and, mm -hmm. and try to basically have as less as impairment loss as possible. So basically, mm -hmm. of course, uh, it's not really a possibility to the best of our knowledge to completely eliminate it. But at least if we can reduce it, it's a great thing because then afterwards, the, the fees are basically the, the, the backbone of what we're earning. And trying to reduce that risk is, is really important in, in our opinion. 
what we have seen as well is that there are some nice technology and new features in the DEX industry in terms of additional features on top of the existing IMM system. So for example, uh, Uniswap is providing liquidity concentration in ranges. So that means that basically if you're in the range of um, application, you can improve the, the, the impact of the trading fees and hence basically, basically provide liquidity in a way such that uh, you, you can mitigate impermanent loss in a more efficient way according to the range. Bancor, for example, also have insurance pools and elastic tokens that is possible to actually mitigate the impermanent loss risk. On our side, what we believe is that what we want to do is to, to, to keep those advantages possible in the future for us, but try to basically attack in a way more like, um, not attack, but modify and improve, uh, if possible, the IMM itself. So basically the, the underlying system, the underlying uh, constant function market maker, or in our case, as you will see later, the automatic market maker, which is a, a larger scope of that, trying to modify that to actually reduce the impermanent loss, but still keeping like leaving the possibility in the future for us to implement those additional features that could potentially even, even better improve on top of that, the returns for liquidity providers. And so we tried basically to work directly on the real underlying system of the automatic market maker and, and, and leave for the future basically potential additional features that could help on top of that. Mm, mm, gotcha. Now I have a challenge for you, Rashid. Whatever just Matthew and Human said, break it down for the layman. <laughs> the most important things is one, so there will be always risk. There will be always impermanent loss. So we can never have something without, without something. So it's impossible to have something risk-free. Otherwise, there is a problem. Okay. Right. Agreed. Exactly. So we do believe that like the current ecosystem, it's absolutely important because this is what drives innovation. And this is like how it works in the, like everywhere we want to do innovation. We mm -hmm. start with building blocks. Then we see what are the problems. We try to solve these problems. And we do believe in the open source. We do believe in, so this is why we released full research paper that is absolutely having everything there. And of course the decks will be open source, which means that people can build on top of this and maybe we can drive innovation because now we saw that it stagnates a lot. For example, we saw uh, that, that the decks that are built on, for example, let's say Akala, the decks on ADA, uh, on Cardano, on Solana, on Cosmos, they are all just fork from Uniswap. You change mm -hmm. the code base and you deploy them. So we are starting to stagnate a little bit, which is not good. So we need to drive this innovation. If we want to drive innovation, we need to bring new solutions that solve problems. What does this mean to the users? Is that being able to provide liquidity with less, with less risk on suffering on the impermanent loss. I think Human uh, explained perfectly what is the impermanent loss. So if you put two assets, one asset basically goes up. So of course, this asset needs to be sold and go to the second asset. So we have already always 50%, 50%. And this right. is what made the impermanent loss, which means impermanent loss is the difference between the, um, the, the value of the liquidity that you provided in the liquidity pool minus the portfolio if you didn't provide the liquidity, which means that it's just the up and down of the asset, that's it. So this is what we call impermanent loss, okay? Mm. And working on this new AMM that has been released is basically to able to decrease this risk of impermanent loss. And also 
if we see, for example, um, Balancer, Balancer, they have done generalization of Uniswap, which is amazing. And I think this is really good innovation that need to be, that need to be said. And they participate into the innovation of the industry. So this is absolutely important. Mm -hmm. So when we take uh, the, the profile of the impermanent loss, it's not symmetric. So if, the, for example, in one case, the asset goes up, you will be able to do perfectly well, okay? Mm -hmm. However, if the, if the asset goes down, depending on which pool you provided the liquidity, you can suffer from huge impermanent loss. Right. And this is the biggest innovation in the EMM that was developed is that the profile of the impermanent loss is symmetric. So no matter if the asset goes up or goes down, basically you will have the same impermanent loss, which is right. the case in Uniswap. The only difference in Uniswap is it can be high. So in layman term, being able to bring new innovation to the industry, okay, that will help liquidity providers to decrease the risk of impermanent loss, which means that they will be able to be positive if there are, when there are trading fees, and of course, high probability to be, to be much more than just positive if there are incentive and they are doing liquidity mining. So this is where we want to go. Of course, for every single innovation, there are pros and there are cons. The objective mm -hmm. is to constantly thrive toward this kind of this innovation, discuss with others, not work as competition, but work as basically partners. And this mm -hmm. is exactly what we want to do. And this is where we are going. So we want basically to have this lead on driving innovation on DeFi and not basically building products that are siloed that we can only as using them, which will block innovation. So yeah, so I hope this answers to your question, Utsa. It does, it does. And it was very interesting. And I have a follow-up question for Matthew based on what you just said. So do you think, Matthew, that all of these forks of Uniswap allegedly that exist on these Akalas and Solanas of the world, are they more prone to attacks because they might not have the finesse or the team to mitigate those attacks, which is why we see hacks worth $14 million stolen or $20 million, $50 million stolen. Is it like that these forks understand these risks and are just passing it on to the user? Or is there something more sinister at play, in your opinion? Yes, no, that's a good question. So on my side, unfortunately, I'm not an expert in blockchain programming, but from a high-level perspective, that's a good question in the sense that, in my opinion, it will depend as well on the on the understanding of the underlying model. So what I believe is that if the underlying model like Uniswap, for, for example, is understood correctly, and then the programming language that is used on the, on the blockchain is understood correctly as well, then I suppose that it's totally possible to build like a, a very efficient framework such that it's like less prone to attacks potentially. Now, possibly the risk is when the copy is made with a lesser possibly understanding of the underlying model, where there are some corner cases that are not covered, for example. That is a risk, I think, that also needs to be mitigated in new models, per se. So, and to, to jump back on what Rashid said as well on the, on the balance improvement, that's also something really interesting in the sense that Balancer did very strong innovation in that perspective. And... That's probably what we're going to come up about afterwards as well. And that's really related to, to, to our model. In terms of innovation, um, 
that's really something that that we believe is really important. So the improvement that Balancer did there, and that's that's what we based our our, our model upon. So I, I don't know if that's answer your, your question, but I, I try to. I, I would jump on yep. added something. So so blockchain it's secure. Let's be honest. It's not something that you can just hack like this. Right. There are two risks. There is the technical risk of the people that are developing the smart contracts, right. and there is the operational risk. So I would say that 90%, even more than the hacks were due to operational risk. Right. Because the, the private keys is not like basically it's in hot wallet because actually someone were malicious basically that have like, there is no multi-seek. And we see this many, many. So even of the biggest protocol that we saw that has hack, it's not really always taken. However, when you have innovation, you have risk. Mm. So when Uniswap started, it has brought a huge innovation. However, it was the first time that we have a new AMM. But of course, there are many, many smart folks out there that they saw that actually we can do front running, of course. So this is what happened. It's not a hack per se, but basically it's a, a loophole which, would, which, which was basically taken into account by these people, smart people, to be able to get as much liquidity as possible and as much profit as possible, which Uniswap tried, of course, to mitigate and other projects tried to mitigate. We have the rock pool. Rock pool is not from the, 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 the project itself, uh, the, for example, the DEX itself or the yield protocol itself. It's malicious people that are basically taking advantage of the technology that is out there creating pool, doing some malicious things, and then they will be able basically to rock the pool and then to go with the fun, okay? Mm. So this is, and then you have, of course, the true hack, which are existing. And this is either because of the lack of the audits. So sometimes, or sometimes it could be even malicious because from the project, we spoke with auditor and we try to be very, very careful about the audit that we do. So what happened is that some people, they do the audits, they have some uh, they need to do some basically some change they can change the, the the code and everything but once once they deploy they deploy maybe different version so and in this case they know exactly what is the problem and they take advantage of this problem so then we can see like some malicious effect mm. and the last point is absolute technical hack where as i said when there is innovation there are things that we absolutely can't think about them because they don't exist and in this case, this is what like we like some and act, I think also this is part of the innovation. Doing innovative technology, it will have some problems that it will get uh, like a, that it will get it will be taken into account by some uh, by hackers. Then we know what is happening. Then we can provide solutions, and then we go because hacks happen everywhere, even in banks, even in huge like like tech companies. So it happened everywhere. And the last point, which is not really in line with the, with the DEX, but also we noticed that unfortunately in, in the DeFi space and crypto space, we have amazing technical people. They build amazing technical projects and the amazing ideas. However, they don't have really strong DevOps. They don't have really strong, for example, different code bases. They don't mm. have, and which mean that also bring more, I would say angles for the attacker, because sometimes you have like you are running a node with your with your infra, with your AWS infrastructure. Okay, so when you are running a node and whatever node in any blockchain, so it's not really secure. It has public IP. Someone see it, 
go there. And unfortunately, because some people, they don't have really strong DevOps, they can leave the private key within the node or within the, 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 the instance. And then some people take advantage of this and then they will be able to hack and take all the fun because they can do whatever they want with this. So mm. also, so if we want to be, if we want basically to minimize the risk, we need to have strong processes in terms of operations. This is absolutely important. We need to have absolutely strong developers. We need to be able to, to audit with many different auditors. So we are sure that we have basically at least minimizing the risk. And of course, having strong DevOps teams that know what they are doing. I think with this, I will not say that the risk is zero, but at least we minimize it as, as minimum as possible. Got it. Got it. As the old saying goes, right, it takes a village to raise a child. Similarly, it takes a team to build an actual DeFi exactly, product. Exactly, exactly. Well said. <laughs> <laughs> Whoever said it. Let me jump over quickly to Homan. Could you give me a technical overview of what the Alliance Block Dex looks like? What are some of its features and what are some things that you find to be really exciting? Yeah, sure. So as uh, Matthew said, we started first because Rashid asked us to do so, Uniswap and Balancer into really uh, all the details. And we came up with impermanent loss formula, the generic one for every cases, and also with trading fees. I think um, I, we haven't seen ourselves the trading fees formulas anywhere. So we were quite happy to be able to publish that in our technical document. But then this allowed us to understand a bit better, as um, Rashid said, the impermanent loss in the case of Balancer can become dissymmetric, meaning that it can improve the impermanent loss, for example, when spot goes up, but not the opposite, depending on the, on the weight of the Balancer you choose. Mm -hmm. So then we came up with the idea borrowed from physics is that when you couple two systems, let's say two pendulum, they can transfer energy between themselves. Right. So we said, we said, why not basically trying to couple two balancers with different weights so that one behaves very well on, on the right side when spot goes up and one's, one behaves very well on the left side when spot goes uh, down. So mm -hmm. we came up with this idea and we, we tried to model that. And so we coupled two balancers basically, which don't really physically exist, but just mathematical formula. And we put some sort of interaction between these two. So we tried and it worked very well. Basically it was completely symmetrical. The improvement of the impermanent was good on the upside and also downside of the spot movement. How we do that, basically let's say somebody does a trade the way we do it is that the trade is uh, is split in the correct way so that a, uh, uh, a small bunch is, is sent to one balancer and the other remaining uh, rest of the trade is sent to the other balancer. And we do it in a way that the two balance always remain uh, synchronized. So they always have the same spot. And doing so, really, the result was uh, really surprising because the impermanent loss, as I said, is improved uh, on both direction of spot movement. So mm -hmm. this is the basically idea behind the AMM. And of course, on the mathematical side, with the expertise of Matthew, we were able to find very good solvers to, to do that. Mm -hmm. And then mm -hmm. we interacted a lot with the smart contract developers, a very strong team, which were able to basically translate our uh, proof of concept into a smart contract. So I think uh, that summarizes a little bit uh, what we do in terms of AMM. And, and to be honest, 
this new AMM is very different from what exists because, as you know, Uniswap is a constant product market uh, maker, right? which is in the same family than constant function market maker, which basically englobes as well curve and also balancer. Mm-hmm. But our, our AMM, as it couples to a CFMM, it's, it's not anymore in the same family. We cannot basically find the function which remains constant. It's something which is a bit more complex. So in terms of uh, innovation, definitely it's something new and it can open the road for other type of innovation because we know that now with coupling different CFMM, we can come up with a new AMM which has different properties. So that's, uh, that's uh, also good for research and development, I hope in the future. Mm-hmm. And I want to add something also about the story. So I think like uh, people need to know that I th- in November, it's basically the, I would say one year that we've been almost working in the beginning, we started only small part-time, the, 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 the evenings and the weekends. And then we, the, the idea behind this, it was, how can we optimize the impermanent loss? So we never thought actually about that. We never thought about this. So we thought, how can we optimize impermanent loss? Because indeed, as woman said, once analyzing balancer and Uniswap and curve, we saw that there are a few things that we can optimize. Then it was like, start working on this. Um, so what are the idea? How can we mitigate this? How can we optimize? And then I completely remember when woman come, I say, hey guys, why not, instead of building layer of optimization, have it our text? Because I think I have something that is absolutely huge. And this is from where the adventure started. So it took around, I would say, four months, like with the amazing work, like what Mathieu has been doing and human and like, uh, and Mathieu is like very humble, but he has been doing amazing things like in Python simulations, finding the perfect spot, the split of the trade and everything. And it was with lots of unit tests, lots of like case, lots of edge case. Then, there is a huge difference between building something of Shen and then try to replicate it on Shen because of mm-hmm. the gas fees. And this was like one of the absolute, so it's, it limited us to be as creative as possible because we have basically at every single time, as women say, we need to find the perfect splits to the two, uh, to the two pools so we are able also to always be, be synchronized. So it is easy to do algorithms, optimization algorithms, like in the option uh, option world. But doing this in the onshore world, it's it can be hugely costly. Mm-hmm. So then, as Zuman said, we have like worked like I think multiple iteration of smart contracts. So I think it took around six months just to build a smart contract, optimize the functions, making sure that are like not very like I would say kind of gas efficient, and then lots of lots of audits with like we had done at least four iteration of audit this is why it took time so between the idea to the implementation option to the full implementation on chain i would say it took us one year mm-hmm. so if i may add on that as well it's like definitely rashid and uman like pointed forward like something really important is that from that can be applied actually to a lot of different application projects but Basically, having having going from a, a theoretical idea or intuition, then putting that onto paper in mathematical formulas, and then what we did is, as Uman mentioned, proof of concept, a proof of concept in Python to simulate basically what could happen dynamically. Mostly because then we have a, a dynamical trade split, right? Because mm-hmm. 
This has to be solved at every trade and uh, things like this. So in Python, it works all nicely and because that's kind of our expertise. So that, that's what we know what to do. And uh, so we did it like this. But then afterwards, as Rashid mentioned, this has to be done on chain, which Uman and I are not expert in. So that's more like then afterwards, there are other problems that are coming up. And when we talked to the Solidity development teams that are really strong, they basically managed to actually understand what was the, the thing that needed to be done and in order to actually put the proof of concept productionized. And that's uh, what Rashid mentioned is something that, 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 that took quite a bit of time because it was a challenge, uh, mostly because the the model itself is relies on numerical methods that are not classical in on-chain applications, basically. So mm. that's something, yes, that's something to that we believe was quite important at the time and that now it's a bit clearer as well. That's very interesting, Matthew, when you bring up the gas fees and I heard you talk about solidity uh, developers. So how much do you think would be the typical gas fees for a normal transaction on your AMM? And like, are there ways to like mitigate it by maybe moving over to Arbitrum or some other L2 solution? Yes, so I'll let Rashid opine more precisely on that afterwards. I'm just going to talk about the the, the, the numerical part on this. So basically, as you you mentioned, layer two solution. So I'll let Rashid, who's an expert on this, opine on this. But basically on our side, what we did with Zuman on the proof of concept is that we try mathematically to highly minimize basically the... The, the cost of operations and the numerical operations, because we knew that the, the proof of concept would need it to be developed afterwards in solidity. So we understood that the gas fee would be a problem. So what we tried is basically to have, to know the trade split in a way such that the, the solving for it would require as less numerical steps as possible. So really optimizing this, this part such that it requires uh, the, the least amount of gas fees, if that makes sense. So that was also like a, a big challenge on our side. And Rashid, if you want to add more on the layer two solution, I'll let you opine on this. Indeed, exactly. I totally agree with you, Mathieu. And also like, because we have this numerical challenge, of course, it costs because every single iteration to find the, the optimum, we don't need to find the global optimum. We find just the, 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 the local optimum in this case. Right. And what is absolutely into like what we saw because of the high gas fees of Ethereum, specifically when there are congestion, and this is why we are looking for the ETH 2.0, like really, really like eagerly, I would say. So we have to do some choice. And these choices basically are we are providing this because one of the biggest complaints of all users is we know that Ethereum is the mother of the blockchain. Okay, no matter what we say, no matter we like it or not. Every product that is successful has to go through like Ethereum. However, now we have amazing alternatives. So we saw the layer twos. And so for example, we have like Polygon, we have Arbitrum, we have Optimism. And by the way, Uniswap is like, it will migrate to Optimism and so on and so forth. So we decided for us, for our first iteration that we will go into other chain, which we will release absolutely like within the next week. And because we are with you, so I am very happy to say that we will start of course with Polygon, because the transaction fees are super low and it, it will give huge advantage to liquidity providers and the trader. Because 
it doesn't make any sense to do one. So this is one of the biggest hurdles for the current ecosystems in Ethereum of the decentralized exchange is that if you want to do a transaction of $100, it is impossible because you might be able to pay $200 transaction fees so, and you don't have them. But on Polygon, maybe you can do the same trade at $100, but you will pay only one cent. So this is to be seen in our testnet. This is why we are heavily testing and we are providing amazing incentives to people that are testing our decks in testnet. And then we want to be multi-chain. So we will be able to deploy on Polygon Energy Web because we believe in Energy Web. It has absolute huge amount of corporations with a lot of, lot of liquidity. And we are basically be one of the biggest decks also in Energy Web, and we are happy to be there. Energy Web is 20 to 100,000 less gas fees than, than Ethereum. I think it's a really good choice. And of course, we have like two, I would say, mystery announcement that we'll announce in terms of the chain. So we can say that basically by the by the, the, the next week and the, I would say the following weeks, we will be able to deploy our decks at least onto four to five chains, which is really good since the beginning because DEXs in general, they are on one chain or they right. will, will fork one, uh, one DEX from here and put it into the EVM compatible because it's exactly the same way Solidity. Yeah. So yeah, we are deploying on multiple chain since the beginning. And this is the foundation of our objective to become multi-chain that we will include our cross-messaging protocol that will be able to do the question swap. Of course, there are a lot of challenges. There are a lot of interesting problems to solve, but yeah. So, so to summarize, because of the gas fees, we choose to go into other EVM or layer two. And then once we do the test, once we will refine our methodology, once we will optimize it, we may come back, come back to Ethereum as well. That is very interesting. You want to stay within the Ethereum ecosystem. And what would you say to the Solanas or the avalanches of the world, whose, I guess, major claim to fame has been lowered gas fees? But these are ex easily explained away with uh, technical analyses. But what would you say to those guys? Yeah, like, why not a Solana? Why not an avalanche? Of course, of course, like, um, well, uh, I, I want to keep some nuggets, <laughs> but, uh, but indeed, indeed, this is something in the plan. So all the code base, basically, which is uh, on our roadmap, Avalanche, it will be uh, easier, but uh, something that we will announce as well. Right. And there are others within the Polkadot ecosystems and other, basically, different chains. And the good thing okay. is... It, um, let me keep some nuggets, please. Uta. <laughs> <laughs> we will not say everything. Otherwise, everyone knows everything. But yeah, right. I think you get it. I get it. Understandable. You have this DEX launch coming up. The uh, testing is already underway on the, on the testnet. And mm -hmm. for the benefit of the people who might be looking to migrate their funds or whatnot, if I have $1,000, 500 of which is, let's say, BTC, and 500 of that is Ethereum. How do I get it onto your decks when you launch? Oh, Mickey, maybe I, I can start on this one yeah. as well. So on this first version of the decks, we managed to make it very similar to Uniswap in terms of um, entry for liquidity providers. So basically, if you are a liquidity provider and you provide your fund into Uniswap, usually put 50-50 your tokens. And um, this is not the case, actually, if you use balancer with the weight, which is different from 0.5. Right. 0.7, you have to put 70%, 30%. Right. But in our case, 
we have this uh, weight, which will be a parameter as well for our AMM to control the impermanent loss. I mean, the first person who creates the pools will choose a, a weight. Mm -hmm. But whatever the weight, the entry uh, for the liquidity providers will be always 50-50, very similar to Uniswap. But on the next versions, we will um, make it much more, I would say, controllable in terms of percentage you want to put. You can even put 100%. So offer single-sided liquidity is on our plate for the next versions. Really? Nice. Yeah, definitely. I mean, this is something I think myself, for example, a couple of times I wanted to invest and I didn't want to basically to sell uh, half of my token to go for something else to provide liquidity. So I think this is something which is really lacking in the in the DEX industry. I know that, for example, to be honest, uh, Bancor and also Dodo offers the, this type of signal-sided liquidity, but the logic is different. I mean, we Definitely, for example, Bancor, they allow this thanks to their elastic supply of token, which mm -hmm. is very good. But for example, we didn't go for this solution yet because we think that it could be unstable in when the market changes uh, and becomes in a very severe beer type of market. Mm -hmm. uh, so, so on our side, uh, single-sided liquidity will be completely at the mathematical level. We try to, again, do it on a theoretical um, basis without uh, changing the supply of our token. Mm -hmm. uh, just just uh, to give you a flavor of what's going to happen in the next couple of months. Yeah, and if I may add, on the, from the trader's perspective as well, we talked about the, the trade split that we're trying to find. And one thing that is maybe a bit mathematical, but quite interesting that we'd like to push forward is that this, so as Uman Rashid mentioned, we have, we're playing with two balances with different weights and using basically the trying to use the best of both worlds basically in between of them such that the impairment loss is is reduced mm -hmm. depending on where the spot is but naturally the, the the natural question is okay well we do a trade what happens on the trade split is it unique can it be computed all the time is there even a solution those questions we answered in the research paper and the answer is is really positive in the sense that there is always a solution and it's unique meaning that when there is a trade happening we know exactly how much of that trade needs to be split to mm -hmm. go in the first balancer with the low weight and the other balancer with the high weight and that, that's quite important in the sense that because that would mean that if two traders do the exact same trade and the dex is actually in the same state then they will always get the same output in terms of increment loss for the liquidity provider and in terms of the output amount for the trader and that's really important for consistency so that's something that we wanted to to, to push forward and it's discussed in the research paper um, as well so from a trader's perspective it's a uh, it's a quite useful um, quite useful result and if I may to add on this one, uh, you know, when we always say two balancers, you have to understand that the, the balancers are not physical balancers. Because I saw uh, some people um, questioning about that. <laughs> uh, yeah, on the, on the Telegram channel, I saw very good questions, actually. And yeah. um, the answer is that uh, is just theoretical. I mean, there is no physical balancer which are connected to each other. I mean, we wrap two formula mathematically. And we talk about balancer, but in reality, there is no balancer pools behind the hood. We just are AMM, which, which are built upon their formula. So mm -hmm. that's one point. And the other point is uh, Matthew mentioned uh, about, I think, uh, some, something related to slippage when you trade. 
So the good thing, one of the good things with our AMM is that when you trade, usually if you use Balancer or Uniswap or any constant function market maker, the slippage is really a deterministic function, meaning that if you, if you know your trade input, you know how much slippage you would have. In our case, I would say it's still deterministic in the sense that you can calculate, but the calculation is much more complex. Mm-hmm. It's not as simple and it depends on the state of the, of the pools. And so if I would say if you don't have access easily to the state of the pools when mm-hmm. you do the trade, slippage can appear stochastic, random for you. And that, that is uh, something which could make the life of front runners a bit more difficult because they need to do a little bit of math and calculations to be able to, to see how much slippage a trade would uh, imply. And therefore, I think it could be a positive uh, impact for traders as well. I have a question here. Do we want to make life easier for the front runners? No, actually, they, uh, if I said easier, I did a mistake. <laughs> it, 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 will, it will make their life more difficult. Yes, that's what we want, right? <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes, exactly. There should be no risk-free money. <laughs> I get it. So if I were to invest, so I need to be on the Polygon blockchain before I can invest in, like before I can stake or like rather liquidity mine on the Alliance block DEX. And I need to use a wallet like a MetaMask or something like that, which is compatible with Polygon, correct? Actually, so I will take this one. So basically, it will be the exact same way. So you connect your, so in the beginning, you connect your MetaMask, you have your, your network, and you know, MetaMask supports with the Polygon, Arbitrum, supports many, many different chains, PSC, of course, and all these things. Right. And it will be done exactly like Human said and Matthew. So it will be done exactly the same way as it's done now. However, we are working with our partners, Icon, which are built already, which is amazing technology. That mm-hmm. people, they will not even need to connect with MetaMask. They will connect with Facebook ID, with Apple ID, with whatever, a Gmail, whatever. And automatically, it will create basically a multi-sig wallet. So even if they lose the password, thanks to the multi-sig, they will be able to recover it. So which is really good in terms of user experience. It's very good in terms of adoption. And it's very good also in terms of the usability of the decks that anyone can, can, can come. Now, our next step. So we have these decentralized decks where everyone can use it. But then we will have something absolutely cool because we have our trustless KYC that is coming. And the trustless KYC is that users do their own KYC and choose if they want to be able to give the data or not, or to say that we are verified or not. So it depends on them, okay? Mm-hmm. Now, we will have another version, which is more for basically people that want to be whitelisted and people that want to like an institutional where we will have KYC Oracle, where there will be specific pools, not really private pool, okay? Uh, because it's not, so, so it could be done, but it's not the best way, I think. We will have pools that anyone that is whitelisted, which means that he's done his KYC, plus he has done like a whitelisted his wallets, it will feed smart contract, which will behave as KYC Oracle. And hence, they will be able to access some of the pools without putting them private, but just anyone that is whitelisted and verified, they will be able to do this. And this will create absolutely amazing opportunities in the near future. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That sounds very interesting because KYC has been a thorn on all of these 
centralized exchanges side like they say that they do kyc but a lot of us know that they don't do kyc so trustless mm. kyc looks very interesting and uh, if you could go over it in a couple of minutes that would be very helpful like what does trustlessness really mean and yeah, what is a trustless kyc of course so trustless kyc so now if you want to do kyc for to invest into project or whatever you need to go through a company that do your KYC, that hold your data, okay? And then they will sometimes, there are good companies, sometimes bad companies. Sometimes you need to do basically your KYC 10 times if you invest into 10 projects with 10 different companies. And even if it's the same KYC provider, you do it again for each project that you invest in. For us, we said, we took the example of Denmark and Sweden. Sweden, basically they have this government centralized where everyone do KYC and then What's happened is that any corporation, any bank, any project, they don't need to ask the user. They just go to tap into the database, of course, with some, they need to have access, of course. And then they can check if the user is verified. Sometimes they don't need to have the underlying data. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they need to ask the underlying data, especially if it's bad. So we say, let's put this model and do it trustless, which means that the user will do his own KYC. He provides mm-hmm. the data, it will be done completely encrypted. And we are using amazing technology, which we are absolutely like proud to do it. And we will release it later on. And you can say something that is, it will be built on Nucipher, which I'm absolutely huge believer on Nucipher, which have amazing team. And then what, and this is in line with what we said two years ago, when we spoke about the data, fragmenting the data, encrypting the data, giving mm-hmm. access to the data, if you remember. So right. we are really proud to be able to do it now. And once the user do KYC, he verified, he has his basically data with him mm-hmm. and he will give access or revoke access to this data given, for example, like bank or given projects for investment. And this will be used in our other our product funders. So funders is already audited, ready. Just we are like, hopefully in December, we will be able to release this trustless KYC. And then the users, every time they give access to a product, every time they give access to, to, to a project, they will get basically like a percentage of the payments. So which means that they will pay once, but they will get recurrence payments every time their KYC is, uh, is used or they give access to someone. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now, imagine you have hundreds of thousands of people having their own KYC. Mm-hmm. This will feed into, so this is our next step, KYC Oracle. This is with, and no one knows it well, so it's another nuggets for you, Otsav. It mm-hmm. will feed to the KYC Oracle, and this KYC Oracle basically will feed smart contracts, and then you it will feed the text, okay? Mm-hmm. So as soon as you connect your wallet, or as soon, so it will be automatically known if you are verified or not, without mm-hmm. saying who you are. We don't need to know who you are. We just need that you are verified, um, given certain standard, okay? Right. Once you are verified, you will be able to go to the decks, participate in the decks, all the pools. So you will have, for example, tag of the pools. You have pool KYC pools, no KYC pools, and whatever. So we don't need to do closed KYC, a closed pool, sorry, uh, because right. in that, like, yeah, there is someone that controls them. Here, we don't even need to control this private pool, and no one will control them. It will be targeted as, 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 as whitelisted people. It will be triggered by this KYC oracle. It feed this, and then you will be able to provide liquidity, and you are completely in line with the regulation depending of jurisdictions. So this is the high overview. I hope it answers to your question. It does. It does, and it sounds very, very interesting. 
like if somebody wants to know more about your product and like maybe speak to you guys what would be the best way to reach you so they can reach us on telegram we are absolutely active on telegram alliance blog uh, they can reach us on twitter so twitter.com slash alliance blog so we are really really so uh, active there and we are releasing more and more basically like in terms of mediums in terms of use cases in terms of videos that we'll be releasing and we have like amazing marketing teams doing an amazing job to be able to bring all what we are doing even sometimes complex to be able to do it like in the most simple way we know that we like, in order to bring people we need to educate people because we are building so many products and so complex that people need to start seeing the whole landscape and this is where we are trying so every product has a specific role that will connect with all other products and i think when we take alliance block foundation we divide it into five modules so one of the most important is the dex is the holy grail is the most important things because you need executions you need trade you need liquidity mm -hmm. then we have the bridge which is for interoperability with our cross messaging protocol that is being built right now mm -hmm. then we have the kyc and the kyc oracle which is the compliance layer then we have of course basically the funding so in every single investment bank or you have project finance so we need to be able to fund people from lending to investments and the last the last modules is the wallet so something that connects all this so if you take these five modules the bridge mm -hmm. kyc the tax the funding and the wallets you can create every single financial infrastructures by connecting these bits it could be created by investment bank on top of the legacy system Mm -hmm. it could be created for a new decentralized investment bank and this is where we are going basically we are opening the door and building the futures where we think that you can hand you can basically mix the high standard of traditional finance as Matthew and Uman said there are so many things that we will be able to use because of the high standard but also secure so we make the innovative technology of DeFi make it much more secure much more high available much more scalable and much more basically usable because we need adoption, then you take these two, you connect them, you have your, your, the five modules open source that you are doing with Alliance Block Foundation, and then you will be able to create your own infrastructure. And this is why we speak about Alliance Block ecosystem. We have all these startups that will build on our technology. And this is something that is important because in crypto, if you want to be the best, you need, of course, execution and the team and product release you need hardcore community that believes in you and we need basically to be absolutely transparent and you need marketing simplifying the simplifying the tech educating people and i think what makes the difference between the top 20 and all others is that you need absolute huge developers community and this developer community come because you have huge product open source and free to use building pro building companies on top of this pro product mm, mm, that is very interesting so do you have any final words for the Hacker Noon audience? I will start. So first of all, thank you very much. I think this was one of the most amazing discussion that we had. It's absolutely super cool and proud to be with you, Utsaf, specifically that we know each other since a while and you managed to see from white paper, 10 products. So this is absolutely cool. I think we are here to, to drive innovation. We are here to work in collaboration with others. We are not here to compete. We are here to help. We, we want basically to leave a legacy. And we're really thankful for the amazing community that we have because we will absolutely not be here without them. They are supporters. They give ideas. They give feedbacks. And this is for us is absolutely important. 
And I want to thank also Oman and Mathieu for the trust that they have done on a nice blog and the amazing job that they have done. And of course, all the teams that they are doing something that's just really amazing. So we are just starting. We are building a crypto company with absolute high standard of traditional startup. We are mixing the best of the two worlds. And we believe that we will leave the legacy to this world and we will do whatever it takes to achieve our objectives. Nice, very well said. How about you, Huma? Do you have a message for the Hackanoon readers? Yes, definitely. Rashid basically said everything, so I cannot really add uh, on top of that. <laughs> but uh, no, it has been really a big pleasure to work uh, on, on this project. And I hope that the innovation we bring could be useful for all the DeFi users. And we really look forward to continue in terms of innovation and building products and helping the whole community. And very proud of the community and looking really forward to the future. Thank you, Huma. Over to you, Matthew. Do you have yes, anything sure. to add for the Hackenon reader? <laughs> yes, but first, right, thank you very much for having us here. That's been a real, real pleasure. Very entertaining discussion, very energetic. So really loved it. And as Uman and Rashid mentioned, like there's been an amazing, like an amazing journey so far on the Islands Blood Boat. And I'm sure it's gonna continue like that. Dex was an amazing project as well. We had like really great fun. I can, and thanks a lot for all the feedbacks as well. Like there's been like, I think a very entertaining project, like a difficult one as well. And we, we really enjoyed those type of project was like there is research and development. It's really exciting. And I think decentralized finance, it's only the start. And I'm sure that we're going to see like even more interesting project of, of such vigor in the future. So Really looking forward to, to carry on in, in that direction. And thanks again. Thanks a lot for having us here. And of course, as we always said, absolute no mercy. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Rashid has catchphrase that we, want, that we all like want to hear before we call it a wrap. So yeah, like if you want, like okay, go for it. Have, so like, uh, let, me, let me give you like our catchphrase. It's uh, absolutely amazing. Let me because like I write it down, so I think it's important and this is what will characterize us. Two seconds. Sure. Ah, okay. So our mission is breaking down barriers and solving the most complex problems to create a truly participative, inclusive, fair and transparent world of endless opportunity for all. We don't predict the future, we build it. We are one, we are no mercy. Thank you, Rashid. And like on that no mercy note, let's call it a wrap on this Hacker Noon podcast episode. Best of luck, everybody. Bye, Rashid. Bye, Human. Bye, Matthew. Thank you very, very much. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you. Hacker Noon podcast.